You're acting like you're waiting on the sympathy vote. Well, tomorrow's Super Tuesday, and the people on the news say that you're sagging in the polls. That's how it goes. Well, hello everyone. This is the Emancipation Network and Zero Books Super Tuesday Post Mortem Roundup, and we have quite a surly show for you. Um, you may recognize uh, myself, Esri, and Grant down there from Swampside Chats. We've got Tom O'Brien from From Alpha to Omega. And C. Derek Varn is our liminal figure between Zero Books and Emancipation Network. And um, for the first time, uh, I'm talking to, and we're talking to, uh, Ben Burgess of the Zero Books Network. Um, I just want to say hi to everyone. And if you've never read Ben Burgess's wonderful refutation of Trotsky's terrible article on logic, I can't recommend it enough. Um, if you really want to disappoint and frustrate some Leninists, it's just a hundred percent solid. I fucking love it. So, um, thanks for that. I feel like I buried the lead here. Why don't we get a little bit of a round table? Um, how you feeling tonight, Ben? Uh, not good. Um, so actually, uh, just finished this afternoon and it went up like an hour or so ago, a, um, Jacobin article about the, um, about, you know, the super Tuesday results. And, um, and I, I uh, took me a while to write cause I was trying to, um, you know, I was trying to do something that would be useful, but that didn't seem like it was coming from the like Bernie ministry of propaganda telling people to, uh, ignore the American tanks they saw rolling through the streets, you know, uh, that we're still winning. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a huge setback. Uh, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you have to start from, from a, a place of honesty about that. Um, that, you know, basically the democratic establishment, uh, you know, paid a sort of compliment to the momentum of the Bernie campaign by, uh, by freaking out and 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 doing this kind of unprecedented overnight consolidation where all the other centrists dropped out and uh, um, and you know they 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 dug up the corpse of Beto O'Rourke to to give it and you know endorsement to Biden and uh, um, and and they really had this all out media offensive to to sort of say that uh, the Biden win in South Carolina translated momentum. Um, and you know it's uh i mean it's i mean obviously there's a lot of you know there's a lot of complaining i want to do i know it's kind of pointless because you know because getting mad at the um at the mainstream press for for having the political position that they do is kind of like getting mad at a spider for building webs but like you know literally in that period of the last few days joe biden admitted that he was he, he lied about getting arrested in south africa and like nobody covered it you know it was, it was like you have to you have to be an obsessive news junkie to know that that happened but anyway so all this stuff happened and the point is it worked right they um they definitely won the battle uh i think the i think that the most optimistic thing that you can say that's accurate is that um is that even even given that they won this battle it is still the case 
uh, that uh, if you had told somebody this time last year um, that um, that Bernie Sanders would win all three of the first three races and that um, after Super Tuesday and after all the centrists had consolidated down to one candidate, uh, that one candidate would be neck and neck with Bernie on uh, on delegates, um, then that would have seemed like a pretty optimistic projection a year ago, right? The fact that this seems so crushing now uh, is really a symptom of how good things were deceptively looking for a minute. Um, Grant, that's actually um, kind of resonates to something that I've often heard you say, and by often, I mean in the last day, is that you're, you're kind of surprised at how dour um, – Sanders supporters have been about the outcome. I mean, I, I'm not so surprised that they're so dour about it, but can, um, I don't know. Do you care to speak to what, uh, what Ben was getting at there? Well, I'm not so sure. I mean, it is a pretty substantial setback for a lot of reasons I think we'll get into tonight. What surprised me initially, really, was that during the results sort of coming in, you saw a lot of people's reaction was just being ready to fold. That was it. You know, it was that that's the end. That's that's it. And if you're making the case that what's, you know, strong about your candidacy and your campaign is that you've built this massive movement that's going to overturn the existing kind of factional conflicts in the Democratic Party or, or something like that in order to increase turnout, unify, and beat Trump, well, uh, what kind of massive movement collapses that quickly, you know, it, at the first kind of major setback? Uh, so it, it seemed telling to me uh, on those grounds. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess I did, I did feel like it's premature because I, I do think Sanders still has a path. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that in this competition, regardless of, and I think Michigan will be, will be pretty make it or break it, but um, I just saw someone talking about that, and I think that's true. But I think that Sanders really, um, what he can count on is that in this race, every time somebody has gotten up there, Sanders included, but all of them in this race, one of their, and it shows what a clown car the Democratic Party has become, their weaknesses come out. And that's been, and the restlessness, the dissatisfaction of the primary voters. Uh, they put somebody up and then they go, oh, we regret this. Um, and so, you know, what's the most fatal thing for a Joe Biden campaign? Joe Biden campaigning, right? So it, it's, I think, now that we've seen how things shook out, I think they're pretty neck and neck. I think Biden might even have the advantage, which is not what I was necessarily expecting. But ultimately, um, you can count on a Democratic Party politician to be liable to uh, squander any big opportunity they get. And... The fact that it's kind of fallen on Biden, to me, less shows the power of the establishment and more shows how degenerated the Democratic Party 
establishment's remnants really are. Because this is somebody that was supposed to retire after the Obama White House. This is somebody they don't like that much. I mean, they're, and, and so they're putting him out there as this is this trustworthy, likable candidate. They don't trust him. They don't like him. Um, and he has that connection to Obama, who, uh, though he ended up pretty horizontally integrated, he stole the party away from the Clinton wing. I mean, he, he, he's somebody that they don't, um, well, he made them relevant, so they like him for that. But, but there's a tense kind of contradiction there. And so, you know, the thing about Biden that I think people will realize is that he's not Obama's sidekick. He's Obama's Mike Pence. You know, he's the guy that Obama picked to kind of stitch right. the Republican party because he didn't want to get backstabbed. Uh, and so th- th- there's a lot that could go in either direction, really, for the Sanders mm-hmm. campaign. Um, the thing is, I just personally don't think either of these candidates have run a particularly impressive, let alone transformative campaign. And so I think that it's anybody's game, not on their strengths, but on their weaknesses. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, one potential... One, one potential like reason for the kind of despair that we were seeing on Twitter is that a lot of Sanders supporters know that even if elected, Bernie's going to need more or less a movement in order to implement his policies. Um, and a lot of people in the Sanders campaign are, you know, see themselves as building a movement, not just a candidate, um, which is, you know, what you would need to get the things that he wants to do accomplished. Um, And whether it was about the institutions or if people are less critical of the institutions and sort of seeing how voting just shook out, um, there was a dashed narrative there about what kind of campaigns being run, maybe. That's just my thoughts. Derek, absolutely, yeah. I've, I've seen you make all kinds of great faces and I need to know what's going on behind them. Um, there's a whole lot to say there, one, there's, there's a bunch of strategy kind of stuff we need to look at. And I'm going to just take off my, my socialist communist hat for a second and put on my regular pundit hat. Um, objectively speaking, there's a one in five chance of a brokered convention. Um, no, actually 538 has a higher, a three in five chance of a broken convention. Um, there is a three in 10 chance that Biden has a clear out white win, a one in 12 chance that Bernie does. And then we're not even going to talk about beyond that. Um, when I ran the simulations and uh, after a, another commie friend of mine ran the simulations on 538 simulation machine, had Bernie win every um, primary state, but closely um, left he still only had a 14% chance of winning. Okay. So there is a path. It's not, it is not a one in a hundred. It's like a one in 10, but it's not good. Um, just to, just to put this out there a few weeks ago, five thirty five thirty eight was predicting that uh, Bernie won every single state that was left and, uh, and said there was like a nine tenths chance that he was going to be the nominee. Right. So, um, so, so my only my only thought here would be that um, five thirty eight these days is much more uh, noise than signal. 
But we all, we, <laughs> well, we all like yeah. to believe that the, the simulations is actually what gets me. The simulations is just playing math games. It's not projecting. Uh, um, so so we can uh, even if we throw away the one in twelve chance, just completely throw it out. Um, the math does not look good. Now that says a lot about the way we've set up even the quote unquote proportional primaries because of the vision of um, of these states. Um, Biden won a lot of Republican stronghold states um, in the South, won in areas where the Democrats aren't going to do that well um, in the general election. This is going to be a problem for them. But there's other things that I think people reacted to that they're despairing about. I think the biggest one is that working class and younger people after Nevada didn't come out on the primaries and they did on the singular focus early states. And that's, that's, that's interesting that, you know, Bernie was out here on Monday. I almost went and saw him, but I had to work. Um, the other thing that's concerning is that the consolidation of the split was almost immediate and 538 and ABC and New York times have all attributed most of the Biden wins to people who did not vote early and the states where, uh, where Bernie did exceptionally well were states with write-in, um, not write-in, um, with mail-in ballots. Like I voted for Bernie three weeks ago here in Utah. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it, it's uh, a thing. Now, the other thing that's bad for the Democrats is it actually pits their whole United Colors of Benetton myth flat on the face. Because um, the they've been running these these kind of numbers on like generic POC, like we have this this uh, person of color. Um, that doesn't play out in in reality, and this made it abundantly clear. Now, there's a bunch of narratives as to why the nation posits that one of the reasons is younger younger um, black Democrats do not trust white. Uh, white Democrats to vote progressive. There may be some evidence for that. Um, my personal experience is the Southern is the Southern um, Democratic machines, which the, a lot of the black vote has inherited, is conservative. And the and the voter base, we don't disaggregate for class and um, and racial demographics. Offers when doing this, we usually just do age and race. And the voter base for a lot of African American voters in the South is more well-off than the average African-American because of felon laws, which disenfranchise a large part of the African-American community. Um, And frankly, it seems like a lot of the younger people got in Texas got chased off by very badly run polling places. Um, Okay. So you have all those problems, but we should have known about those problems. Like we, and, and I don't think anyone in the democratic coalition is going to be happy about that. The the, the larger thing um, that that kind of scares me is uh, I don't know what levers that the socialist movement really have to pull um, out to kind of battle this if Bernie can't win, say, Michigan. Like, like what kind of external to the democratic have we have we already given all that up 
And that's that's a big question, like because we're going to need a social base to push on this. We were going to need that with Sanders, frankly, because even if Sanders was perfectly loyal to us, his his uh, his political base wouldn't have been. And I'm not sure now what we can do. Um, And that's my opening salvo thoughts. I have way more to say, but I'll be quiet for now. All right. um we have another panelist joining us. This is Jake from Swampside Chats that complete out the Swampside Brady Bunch. What's up? What's up? I'm uh, broadcasting here uh, live from the inside of my gas oven. Uh, <laughs> y'all, y'all have uh, about an hour to convince me to take it out, turn it off, okay. go outside, open a window. What temperature is it at that you've got an hour? Well, it's, it, well, it's gas, so it's just I'm just breathing the fumes. Yeah, I, and, I think uh, let me tell you, the only thing that. feeling the burn right now is the inside of my lungs. Okay, feel the burn. Feel the burn. All right. Well, we'll we'll hope to do just that, Jake. Um, Jake, I understand that you um, you've been working on the Sanders campaign. Is that right? I mean, kind of. You know, I pay my monthly Bernie tithe. You know, I made some phone calls. I went door knocking once, but didn't go again because it. I was working every time they were doing it. Uh, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do it. Apparently, though, I probably should have made a few more phone calls. Uh, but uh, social anxiety, you win again. How does the, um, hey, Lexi, uh, or Esri, I should say, how does the uh, Swampside uh, Patreon money uh, pan out if Jake does not survive the night? Yeah, let's l- let's let's not go there. This is an estate planning kind of thing. I suppose. All right, I found I found I just found a new reason to live. <laughs> <laughs> to hold on to that hold was... on to hold on to this tontine. Re- that's, right. that's it's called reverse psychology. Yeah. Okay. Grant, you did it. Okay. Um, let's see. We uh we haven't gotten anything from Tom. Tom, what does this mess look like over there in uh in the in the great country of the United Kingdom where you have things all figured out. We must look very silly from from across the way, don't we? Well, I don't know. All, all I can say is that when Derek moves in close enough to the camera, he looks like Gorbachev with the with the, <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the map of the world on his forehead. It's hard to get it right, Derek. <laughs> you were looking particularly like Gorbachev there for a while. There we go. Proper copy there, there we go. Podcast. Um, oh, like it's... It's 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 eerily similar to the December election in the UK. Um, you know, there's something to be said. Like, just quick point on the models and the the prices that these odds come from these uh, different models and the five three eight things. Like, if you watch online betting markets on stuff like, say, tennis or cricket, like yep. the odds literally switch from one way. Like one is a heavy favorite, and then there's like one wicket is taken, and it just switches completely the other way. So they like, do on five thirty eight. It totally because the it's a dynamic system. Like the the modeling of like a, a complex system like that just changes. There's critical points where it changes a lot, so you can't read in too much to the odds things. But I would think that you know Bernie's properly stacked against it. And. One thing I think nobody is really mentioning too much is like, <laughs> you know, the nature of the Red Scare. There was definitely like a Red Scare element played in in the UK about Corbyn and older voters. The older the older voters remember the seventies in the UK, you know, and and they remember like 
growing up uh, with like a Stalinist state not very far away. And I wouldn't underestimate like the effect of that stuff has when when Biden said or when when Bernie says revolutionary and socialist a lot. Like I bet you like if we look at the split in the votes between the UK and and America, I would not be surprised if you had similar responses to socialism. Uh, so I think there is definitely a generational gap there. Um, let me see. Uh, what else was I going to say? Um, you know, like the, the establishment are going to do everything. Like they're going to do everything at every stage. Like, and if Bernie was stronger, you know, they would have done more crooked stuff. And I, I do agree with Grant. Like, I think the Democratic Party is incredibly weak, just like the Labour Party is incredibly weak in the UK. Like the right wing of the Labour Party in, in England, they may, they'll probably get Keir Starmer in in the re-election, in the, in the new election, the new leader. But like, it's just, that's an indication, like he's not popular. He won't win anything. Like, you know, the parties are in a complete state of flux and our movement is only in its infancy. So like it's depressing when these things occur, but you know, like look at the stats on who really likes Bernie. They're all really young. They're very online, just like <laughs> Corbyn and all the stuff. It's very online. All these cool memes, cool stuff on the internet. You're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you see it all and bang, you know, in December, like you're thinking Corbyn's got a chance. You know, he had. A, I thought he genuinely had a chance, and he gets mauled because the world we are in, inhibiting. We're probably tremendously online people, and uh, you know, you know, the Bernie thing doesn't. I don't think it goes into Facebook. Does it go? Does it go into Facebook? You know, like older people in Facebook. I don't think it does. So I just think our our movement's in infancy, and we're going to get our asses kicked quite a while like i did not expect bernie to do it i think it's much more likely that if you get a you get a candidate through it's going to be somebody like aoc in another four or eight years because that party is still weak as shit you know it's still weak as hell if Ber like if biden is their man <laughs> if biden is the guy you know that just shows you yeah i but saw biden last night claim that he was going to cure cancer yeah I mean, I'll, I'll just chime in that I do think that um, I do think definitely, I mean, Biden is is a, a sign of the degeneration of the party. But I have to say I, a couple things. One, I think that if Sanders doesn't get the primary or if he gets the primary and loses in the general, that's it for DSA. Um, I think a lot of chapters close down and they're done. Um, I think that a lot of this millennial socialism stuff um really more reflects a general social liberalization that isn't always that political of a thing. It's more, you know, the cold war is over. You ask people what they think of socialism and they don't go like there's some geopolitical antagonism that they feel has stakes. You know, it's interesting, you know, you, the, the first time, I mean, if a socialist was, was, um, had a chance of being in the White House during the Cold War, even a socialist as, as milk toast as, as Sanders uh, relative to what we would consider, you know, socialism. Uh, well, there would be a fucking full out meltdown. And recently it seemed like that was a real possibility and it still is a possibility. And that speaks to the fact that it really doesn't matter as much anymore. And so uh, I would say too, 
just to go to the youth thing as well. I want to poke at that because it's interesting to me that Sanders count with the youth went down from 2016 in terms of turnout. And I don't think that that really, um, I guess it's, it's a reduced share within the ongoing youth vote. We were told that the youth vote was going to magically like lift this campaign. And, and then in the general, it was going to be this, this, this fire cracker thing that the youth vote was going to happen. Um, but really, the, the campaign hasn't been able to break through the kind of basic voting blocks of the Democratic Party, bring new people in, anything really like that. I mean, the, the, again, in, in, uh, you had in North Carolina, you had 13% of Tuesday's electorate were young voters uh, compared to 16% uh, four years ago. Uh, 57% went for Sanders in 2020 compared to 69% in 2016. Uh, you had 7% youth vote in Alabama, 14% in 2016 Alabama. That's, um, that's a huge difference. Uh, th- Grant, do you think that it could be a, 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 an issue of like people saw Nevada and went, oh, that's it, Bernie's in? Do you think there's any level of complacency like that? It could be. There could be some element like that. But I think what Nevada really shows is – um, that Sanders got up, and this is something I was talking to somebody I'm, I'm close with about. I'm, I'm stealing an idea here, but Sanders got up and he was basically the front runner. And yet his faction of the Democratic Party was still blaming everything on the establishment, the establishment, the establishment, running really against the other candidates in the primary field still. And the reason that Sanders had this opportunity and that democratic voters were really willing to try him on in the first place was that they go, Oh, maybe he actually can beat Trump. Maybe this is the anti-Trump candidate that we're looking for. And he was front runner for like a week plus, and his rhetoric did not change. I mean, he has this, this message that has some cut through about the billionaires, but it is the same speech every time. And he got into the front runner position and didn't change a word of it. Okay. That can be very harmful, I would say. And, um, and so that to me, if anything is what Nevada means is, is that you, you saw this campaign wasn't willing to be flexible. You know, there's a certain turtle shell protection that Bernie's rhetoric provided until then, but by still focusing on the establishment, I mean, I think that's what really creates so much cognitive. I think that's, let me just finish one sec. I think that that's what creates so much cognitive dissonance uh, is that what, what happened here wasn't actually the establishment killed Sanders. I mean, I think that the voters did. I think it's the primary voters that said no. Yeah. Democrats suck ass. I think that's the one thing we all knew going into this. Like the Democrats are, that was always the main problem. The main problem of him running the Democratic Party is he has to win the votes of fucking Democrats. Grant, I'm a little confused. I think they were open to him. You, you, I you, think they you, were you, open to him. Yeah, I'm a little confused. You kept saying what Nevada shows, what happened in Nevada, what happened in Nevada, and then talking about the disadvantages or fumbles of the Sanders campaign. Do you mean South Carolina? I mean Nevada. I mean that okay, once, okay. He so, so that, Nevada, once he entered that, once he entered that state where he won by double digits, primarily with working class Latino votes. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. He won so strongly, 
and the campaign did not pivot at all. There was this emphasis on Warren from everybody. Warren's got to drop out. An ascendant movement does not need to beg. Hold on, its hold, on hold on. The emphasis on from who on Warren? From the the, the Sanders the Sanders from, 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 supporters from, from, from I mean, was... Twitter accounts you follow or from somebody who matters. <laughs> Oh, I don't follow these people. I just am forced to see them uh, because of other people's likes. But why, what I will say is that okay, okay, from ten people who people you follow follow, or from somebody who matters. my point is, <laughs> I think that I think there's no denying that a lot of the Sanders campaign has focused on Warren is splitting the progressive vote. I deny it. There, well, regardless, in fact, Biden I, I has not been the focus. I assert that it's utter nonsense on stilts. <laughs> You're welcome to. I think people who are listening will will have seen for themselves yes, that they there will, was they a will lot of that, that some about some people Warren on Twitter. and emphasis on Warren. I mean, Bernie but, was very nice to Warren. I mean, it, it was yeah. his like followers on Twitter who were shitty. I mean, Nobody like, in the Sanders campaign has been focused on Warren. A few people on Twitter have been focused on Warren because that's the nature of Twitter. <laughs> but I yeah, it's the left swamp that has grown up around Sanders is was obsessing about her. It's you true. know, for for anti politic political analysis, this is totally politically determined, like pathetically politically determined. Um, yeah, we, well, we pathetic actually, about it, Derek. Explain. You don't have a single class analysis for what went on. It's all based on a narratology. Uh, yeah, so the idea is that politics is actually an alienated sphere, not that. So there can actually be. Did you social just well, events. actually me? Seriously, a little bit. A little yeah. Bit. Okay, let's, let's backtrack. So let me let me just. All right. Oh no! If you don't want to let me finish, that's fine. We I can just listen <laughs> to the rest of the podcast if you want. You've talked more than anyone else. Oh, it's a throwdown. It's a throwdown here. Dude. Uh, hey, that's what th that's what happens with the front runner, okay? <laughs> well, let me let me pivot a little bit. Grant, I understand what you're saying and that maybe there was like uh, a failure within the campaign, but one of the things that you really get from looking at the polls is that the party structure, no, it's not even so much a structure, it's the party establishment is able to do like a big pivot at the right moment. They all lined up behind a candidate within a number of days. And just look at those polls, baby. Now, this is all within the political sphere. This is a political explanation. And I'm, you know, not really venturing much beyond that. But like, you know, you, ha you had a classic, um, you know, the establishment has their backs up against the wall. They've been divided. They're about to be conquered. Um, they know where their bread's buttered. They consolidate behind a candidate, even if he can barely, you know, quote the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. You Look, know the, the, thing. the point is that most Democrats prioritize being a counter Trump over stuff like Medicare for all. So you have 72 percent pro Medicare the, for all in Maine. Democratic Party, Democratic Party like operatives or Democratic Party voters. voters. I'm talking about 72 percent pro Medicare for all in a state that Bernie lost. How do you explain that, right? Well, if it's there were policy. there were it, there were actually like exit polls where people indicated that like beating Trump was their number one priority. Exactly. I mean, the, and they the, didn't the, want to hear the, about Medicare nightmare, for all over and over. The nightmare scenario. I mean, the nightmare scenario here is we're looking at like a John Kerry style situation. We are. Where basically, people, 100%. yeah, they just well, want orange. They just want orange man to go away. And they just they're basically completely checked out of everything. And they just want to pick somebody who fits some like vague idea that they have of electability. 
right? That's that's like the nightmare scenario here. Biden's anyone avoid. Have, does but anyone I, have the stats on the number of Democratic voters who actually participated in the primary? It does seem like they went down, which means that um, if we look, we, we need to do some like some social basis analysis. And this is like what, what I'm interested in because this could prove or disprove Grant's point. Right now, I think we're speculating into the void. Um, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say like, like, uh, you know, in, in the UK, when when Corbyn lost, you know, and people were saying, oh my God, it's terrible. People don't care about anything, you know. I, I just like thinking about it from my own personal material point of view. Corbyn lost, right? And I'm used to be a member of the professional managerial class. Now I make some money doing a bit of program and stuff. But like nothing in my life really changed. And I think for the vast majority of like people who are voting in the Democratic primary, whether it's Bernie or uh, or whether it's going to be Biden, most of them, their life won't fundamentally change. So like I think if we're thinking about material analysis, I think it just comes down to brand a lot of times they have a there's a moral argument for 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 the uh for for health insurance but like uh, most people actually do have health insurance so like the moral arguments like Corbyn made similarly they don't really play that well because it's just like political theater and you know I think there's a lot to be said for that I I don't, I don't think you can make the perfect analogy to the UK on healthcare in specific and this is where things get granted but I yeah but but this is where things like I'm, this is where I'd really like to either prove or disprove Grant's point. And my frustration with Grant is not actually Grant's point. My frustration is trying to prove it. Um, what we have we have two sets of exit polls, and these are consistent actually um, for Democrats for like a decade. Is when they go in to issues. Um, healthcare is like number one or number two. Healthcare and the economy. Unless we're in a war, in which case the war is becomes number one. Um, although we are in a war, but like people forgot about that. Um, where, where, and then when you come out, it's always electability. So is it that they don't believe anybody, including Sanders, for whatever reason, can actually deliver on the, on the thing that they supposedly care about, or, um. Are, are the voters lying? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I suspect it's the former. I suspect there is something to this idea that there's such a disenfranchisement with, I mean, like I run through the structural problems. I totally take everything Bernie says on good faith that he intends to do. All right. I, I actually don't doubt any of it. I don't think it's cynical political operative. I just don't. However, um, I don't know who he has to bring that about when you have a judiciary that's been packed by Republicans and when you have a, a Congress that's still dominated by the establishment, which we can't risk primarying these people out for fear of orange man. Um, and we are always perpetually stuck in that bind. I, I don't really know what to do about that. And I don't think most voters do either. Cause you know, like I, I voted for Bernie. I'm not going to lie about that, but I also like, I had a hard time c convincing myself that it was worth registering as a D just for the two weeks to vote in the primary. Cause it turned my stomach so much. I, 
I just like to say I like I like Jake's picture. I've been cracking up at the Biden memes today. They've been pretty fucking funny. I, I really like the one where you've got like the the Sanders. I think it's that Sanders. It's guy. that one. It's and he's one. he's he's crying and he's got all this point about fascism in the background and then you've got like a like an, a jacked adonis uh biden voter who's just like haha obama man <laughs> like yeah i mean i i said this um, I, yeah oh i i do have to say by the way this is making me feel very good about my level of onlineness because i haven't seen any of this shit but uh <laughs> and uh but look i think um you know, there's a good article by uh, by Paul Heidman today. The title is uh, "When Liberals Lose, They Blame the, They Blame the Voters." Leftists can't afford to do the same thing, uh, and uh, and part of part of what you know Heidman is arguing is that uh, I mean, I think he assumes that you know that like people really do care about healthcare as much as they say they do and all that, but. Um, but that part of the problem is is that Sanders has to do a couple things at the same time, uh, one of which the easy part, right? The part that's already been successful, frankly, is like convincing uh, at least certainly at least Democratic voters. A lot of polling would indicate the public in general that like his like policy preference would be you know would be the best way to go, right? That that we should have Medicare for all. You know, and the Sanders 2016 campaign already did that. That part's done. Uh, but then the the harder part is uh, convincing them of his theory of how to how to accomplish that, um, because I think there's a lot of a lot of the when people say, uh, you know, when people vote for Biden because they think that he's more electable, and uh, it, that's uh, you know, of course, you know. Of course, that I have a hard time not blaming the voters for because I I, I find that bizarre, right? You know that like um, that somebody, you know, I think that uh, Biden uh, is is clearly not very electable. I mean, he might win, but you know, uh, it's but you know, he clearly has some massive disadvantages in a general election. But like, it's a weaker candidate than Clinton. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I agree. Right, so. Um, but, uh, but like when, when people don't just say, you know, when people don't prioritize the healthcare policy over that, that's not necessarily because they don't care about healthcare as much as they, much as they say they do. That's because, but that's because Sanders theory of how those policies are going to be delivered flies in the face of everything they've ever experienced about politics is asking them to believe that things that haven't happened before will, will happen in the future that, you know, that is, that his explicit view about how you accomplish all of this um, involves a level of grassroots mobilization uh, that would be unprecedented uh, in the lifetimes of anybody who, who's, who's voted. Like, so for example, he frequently says that part of his part of his view about how you accomplish all of this is like rebuilding the labor movement, having doubling union membership within the first four years uh, of um uh, of of his of his presidency, uh, because he has he has a structural view of how you accomplish these things that you know even if he's um, even if he softened his view into a much more moderate social democratic view as he's gotten older right is a is in many ways a holdover you know from his radical youth, um, and and that's not irrational 
right? That that voters um, that voters are skeptical of that because because you're you're selling them on something on something completely new and and uh, and largely untried and you know and and um, and and so it just so I th- I think that the but I think that the you either you just kind of put on the sackcloth and ashes and you know and we all find our own gas ovens you know to uh, uh, to you know to go in uh, like 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 Jake or you assume that something like that is true. And so the harder, more interesting task is how do you succeed in convincing large number of primary voters that that is realistic? I will say this. I think part of what freaked people out so much about about this turn is that it's basically like the last eight months never happened. You know what I mean? Like and it's and in that because in that time, you know, Biden has done all this stuff to expose just a whole host of like glaring deficiencies, you know, from off, like his teeth are falling out. Uh, he's, you know, his eyeballs are melting on TV. You know, he's, he's like almost open mouth kissing his granddaughter. He, his record has cut, has come out as just atrocious. You know what I mean? Like he said he did, he, he supposed school integration because he didn't want his kid to go to school and like, what it was it like a social jungle or something like that. But none of it matters. Right. No, none of it matters. And well, and it's, I think it's that's just actually, like, what the fuck? I think that's actually <laughs> the perfect. I think that's the perfect kind of introduction to a question I want to ask our kind of panel here, which is what rings truer? Right. Has the primary base as rusted on to it as it is to the party? Right. Has it actually felt that Biden is a truly viable candidate against Trump after seemingly discarding that idea for months or is this reversion to Biden more like a kind of factory reset? I mean, a defaulting because something actually happened that crashed the credibility Sanders had won in Nevada. That's what I'm saying. Right. What, what so a- what is, what seems more realistic that the voters who rejected Biden for months on, I think the grounds Jake is talking about, I think there is a sense in the democratic voters that like, this guy's a little, I mean, this guy's a little not all there, you know, it's to me, I mean, is that, is that, have they suddenly had a change of heart that he's, he's going to destroy Trump or because they seemed that, I mean, the polling even, I thought I heard polling, don't quote me on this. I'm sorry, but I thought I heard polling that said that they're not very confident about any of the candidates being Trump, or at least that's what the primary thus far says to me is that they're not very confident about any of the candidates beating Trump because they just keep restlessly elevating and then going no and elevating. Uh, or so are people, are people just that checked out? I, I just, I just, I guess I don't see it as stupidity. I think it's, it's a defaulting to factory settings because something happened after Sanders won Nevada. Uh, I, think they, I, think, uh, I think they got afraid of, like socialism, the, all of a sudden it looked like the party was going to change. It was going to become a socialist party and Bernie was the man. It was going to come in and it was going to be radical. Everything was going to be blown apart and the voters went, holy shit, do we really want that? Like I think regular Democratic Party voters, not the youth or the Bernie wing. And they just kind of went, let's just put Joe in for now. I'm not sure. Yeah, so they're fucking scared of their own shadow. I mean, just look at look at the history of this party and like the decisions like people have made politically over the last however long. You know, like like I, there's 
a lot of this has to be read in the context of just the utter bourgeois domination of politics, especially in the United States, which is the fucking imperialist core. You know, like I said this, I was saying this last night when the results are coming in. It's like fucking living in Israel. You know what I mean? Like, good luck trying to have like progressive politics in a fucking ethno state. And like the United States, like it's a situation is just so deeply fucked. And I think a lot of people are just so beaten down from that. They just want anything to pr- anyone who can like protect them from scary Republicans, you know? Well, well and uh, also, I think there's a sense that uh, you're going to um, that it's not safe in to run against somebody who is uh, as anti-political as Trump, that it's not actually safe to run on something like an ambitious reform platform, but that instead um, hmm. your 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 best bet. And this has actually shown itself to be true. You look at uh, one of the most recent elections in Australia, for example, and the the left was about to cruise into power on the weakness of the right except then they thought oh well like this is our perfect time to have the most ambitious policy platform in history and so they they put that in and then everybody went oh no you guys are messing with things right so they voted for a void so in this moment i think Mm. there is some kind of preference for uh and especially if electability is a concern right and people have some diffused sense of this um there there's a preference for biden based on on just a a, a sense of that just sounds like conservatism to me yeah it does i think it's different yeah different trend but go on i'm i'm sorry i'm i'm not sure about that like um let's see yes you you do have people that look at voting for biden as the safe anti-trump candidate um which is incredible and i do think that some people think this basically because of what Sanders represents. And they feel as, as you do that putting forward a bold social reform program is, you know, uh, a scary chance that they don't want to take. However, this bold social reform program and this, you know, gestures towards a sort of, you know, democratic political revolution is intrinsic to Sanders, you know, anti-political appeal. He's actually like a, you know, programmatist and to put it in like critical theory terms that like, his promise to, you know, take on the billionaire class and put in a bunch of social programs that are, and taxes and that sort of thing that that are going to like sap their influence in politics and society is intrinsic to his anti-political appeal. Like, and so. Can I, I have like three or four points. So go for it. I've been quiet. Um, To think about Bernie's, Bernie's as a void are the the uh, ambitions of Bernie. There, I, the, I think that's true for a section of the electorate um, that is aligned to the Democratic Party because they are afraid that a major shakeup will damage things. I'm also, frankly, not convinced that they want to win. I, um, and and do you mean the Democrats or the Democratic voters? I just want to clarify. Uh, the Democrats. Oh, they don't want to win. I'm not convinced they want to win because it's not in their, it's not actually in their, in their. um, Trump is good for fundraising. Right. It's not in their fundraiser's interest to win, frankly. Yeah. Um, I I, I think, I I think a lot of us are on the same page there. The harder question is with Democrat, you know, are Democratic voters thinking that way? Yeah, I don't. With, with with Democratic voters, I've been thinking about Grant's question, and I, and I think that the most the answer that seems most plausible to me is that 
there were a lot of people the the race was in enough flux that there were a lot of people who were really just up for grabs uh, before before Tuesday, right? It's not that they'd firmly rejected Biden on electability grounds. It's that they just weren't sure whether Biden or, you know, one of the other centrists or, you know, maybe even Bernie, you know, was, was, was the most electable and that, yeah, um, I, I do think that it, it speaks in a certain sense to the power of the democratic establishment. Cause I think what the establishment was able to pull off was by making a sufficiently coordinated, sufficiently noisy, sufficiently sort of um, I think it, it had at least the superficial appearance of look at how well this is being managed. We must know what we're doing. Uh, then, uh, then I think that sent this very strong electability signal uh, about Biden right at the last minute, where it could do where it could do a lot of good. That they uh, that um, that uh, I think a lot of people who are maybe not political junkies don't you know don't follow this stuff all the time but who are used to getting sort of certain sorts of vague signals about stuff like, okay, who's the serious candidate, you know, who could really win once they see everyone and everything suddenly line up behind this guy, they think, Oh, okay, well, maybe this is the guy who could win. I'm curious what some of uh, Derek's other points were. I, oh, I, I, I am too. Sorry. I didn't want to totally derail you. I just no, no, that's, that that's okay. Um, one of the other things that we have to look at with Democratic voters is is the subcast of who actually votes in primaries. Um, one of the problems with that is there isn't a lot of good data on class stuff, but it's not even usually 20% of registered party, mem- uh, party members because party members doesn't mean much in the United States. Um, when you look at that and you look at the polling of independent electorates, which which theoretically would where Sanders would want to win, you actually have a structural problem that's going to always give Democrats an electability issue. Because strongly, while strongly identified Republicans are actually rarer um, than, than Democrats, neither is a majority of the population. And I think what is it? It's 33% of the population formally registers as Democrats so they can vote in a primary in the states that require it. And something like 31% register as Republicans. And that percentage register as Democrats actually went down during the period from 2016 to 2020, which makes me wonder like if, if this is a structural problem, but why, like, and it doesn't plague the right in the same way. One thing that I am sympathetic to, to uh, grant on to some degree is that anti-political moves, moods tend to, um, when nothing, when there's no serious, you know, movement at hand. And I mean, a movement outside of electability um, tend to favor right-wing politicians, not because they're right wing, actually, and sometimes it does so in socially progressive and very socially progressive periods of time, more because the kinds of things that right wingers are focused on really don't feel that political in the same immediate way. You don't need like most of what Trump can actually do and promises that you don't need the say legislature to do. Um, so, well, I mean, the thing is like, 
there is just a ba- it's, it's it's a very basic point, but I think it's true. Like the Republicans, you know, the capitalist class, I think, you know, is it basically incre- it's I mean, I think I think do one says something to the effect of it's called neoliberalism, but it's actually very old. There's nothing neo about it, you know. And so they basically just want to go back to like Lassier's fair, you know, gilded age style capitalism where they can just do whatever the fuck they want. We're going to drill, drill, drill. You know, we're going to uh, fill the air with smoke and, just you know, just, you know, smash and grab and take as much as we can possibly get. And the Republicans are more than happy to do that for them. Whereas, you know, any any left to, of that is going to on some level, if you're, even if it's something just like regulation or this or that, you know, it's. Like the the Democrats basically, yeah, they went right wing so they could raise a shit ton of money from the wealthy. And, you know, any actual left wing alternative would be directly in conflict with that and would basically push on every single one of like the contradictions of things. And, you know, I think some people are just kind of scared of that level of confrontation. You know, that's something I actually heard when knocking on doors from people who weren't receptive was like, you know, we just can't we can't afford to we can't afford to do this and to like. Because, like, the backlash is going to be horrific, you know? The backlash might be horrific either way, frankly. I was actually thinking about that no matter what you do in this one, that there's going to be a major backlash. Win, lose, draw. Um, Because, I mean, in some ways, that whole first as tragedy, then as farce thing kind of plays out here, except I don't really see what the farce is entirely. the failure to surely Joe Biden is the farce. Well, yeah, well, kind of, yeah. yeah, but but um, the the failure of Bernie to really overcome Clinton in the first round has, in some ways, reduced Bernie's distance from the party. But it hasn't like there's been there's been small scale gains on people really pushing against the moderates. But structurally speaking, like you look at, for example, the the push against Pelosi, AOC said something true frankly, that AOC had to support Pelosi because the other leaders that could that were coming out to replace her were more right-wing than Pelosi, no matter how she felt about Pelosi. And that was the case. There was no left-wing leadership to come up and fill that spot, which means that, I mean, one of my fears this entire time is that... Um, I was thinking a lot about Victor Chibber's external internal strategy stuff, which is sort of, I guess, his answer to the Ackerman plan. And and I was reading some Trotskyist responses, particularly uh, Charlie Post. And I think I agreed with Post um, because the external strategy isn't there yet. Like there's nothing to push on the Democrats with outside of the Democrats themselves. We don't have a strong union movement. We're kind of in a catch-22 with that. Um, without Bernie like weakening Taft-Hartley or getting rid of it, without without since Obama didn't keep his promise and pledge on card check, um, the unions have been captive, and they're openly captive. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the union leadership has actually supported Biden this entire time, proving how sclerotic it is, despite the fact that the union brack and file have largely been on Bernie's side. What do you do with that? The other thing is the union movement's tiny. It's still, even in its growing, you know, it's at a peak that it's been for like, you know, 20 years at 17 percent, most of which being public sector unions. Well, I, I was going to say, yeah, to this, like, that's the thing, like. The case for Bernie is also kind of under 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 
pins his weaknesses, right? Because the case for Bernie is he's basically bringing a message of some kind of vague social solidarity, some ex very distorted form of socialism to masses of people, right? And outside of the kind of social media bubbles that we all exist within, right? He's strong there, but he's and he's not as strong in the outside you know, world as we may have thought, but he is getting a message out there and whether people are taken or not, you know, is kind of beyond our control. But at the same time, and and the reason to support him is because fun, a major fundamental, very basic problem of the left of the United States is that there aren't a lot of people and there isn't like a, like a rising, like working class movement either. So we basically need those things and maybe, you know, having Bernie Sanders go out and, you know, basically propagandized via this political campaign that he's doing, which is what he was basically running for in 20. That's all he's running to do in 2016, right? He wasn't even running to win at that point, but that's maybe like the purchase of value, what he's doing. And if he wins, maybe through the executive, he can do things to undo many of the structural obstacles to labor organizing that exists in the United States, or maybe finds, you know, some ways to, like, for instance, I know the thing like about weed, he could basically just do immediately, right? Like, that would probably help to ease a little bit all the people, you know, in the, in the prison pipeline and all that shit, right? So, that, that, but yeah, the fundamental weed, like, Sanders almost wouldn't be necessary if there actually was, like, a broader outside force because Democrats and even the Republicans would already be issuing massive concessions. Yeah. Um, so often we have a dual power strategy without dual power. Or well, a, you, you just look, Lenin was right. Politics, politics is not politics unless you're talking in the millions. Yeah. Yeah. I think politics is, yeah, grappling with state power in a democratic society. It necessarily does that. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, uh, I also just full disclosure voted for Bernie in uh, an absentee ballot in California, which nice. had the, had the sole, um, the sole saving benefit of not having to register for the Democratic Party, um, so I I will get into Stovacor at least <laughs> four years, um, or so. Bravo, bravo to my pure armchair soul. I'm actually sitting in an armchair right now. I do all my broadcasting from an armchair. Um, I appreciate your perspective, Jake, because you have the you know, embedded in the world cred of actually knocking on some doors. Not, I'm not sure uh, if, if uh, Ben or, or, or Derek did any campaigning. Uh, I uh, certainly didn't. Ben did. I, my United Front principles will not let me campaign for a Democrat. <laughs> I went to a, I, I went to a Gabbard town hall. <laughs> I, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I actually uh, flew to Nevada to, um, uh, to campaign in the last day before the caucus. But, cool. Yeah. So, so the, all right. Nobody has mentioned like the role that coronavirus might wipe out like everybody over the age of fifty-four. Yeah, you could end up. <laughs> well, that way. So, that so you're saying that, majority. So you're saying there's a chance. I, I was actually thinking about going to Europe <laughs> in a couple months, um, but I, I was my plan was to catch it there and then go drive up to the villages. And just start going to like social events and like you know potlucks and shit, and just start coughing so, on people. Oh, uh, so are we really saying that the coronavirus is how Bernie can still win? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, this, it's, it's, it might take it might take biological class warfare. 
I, I actually believe that completely normal bourgeois politics is how Bernie could still could still win the primary. But um, <laughs> sure, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, Bernie could still win. It can yeah. happen, you know. And like, because I've seen I've seen those like Nate Silver five thirty eight numbers like flip multiple times, you know, just They'll checking probably in. Flip again. Yeah, it's so tea leaves with it's it's a little better than reading tea leaves, but it's I not mean, that Yeah. I mean, I actually think part of the problem and, and, you know, when you see a lot of, well, especially the ver- some of the very, very online Bernie supporters who were often people on the far left of the Bernie movement, um, you know, kind of uh, stick their, their heads into their, you know, metaphorical gas ovens last night. Uh, I think part of what's going on there might be just that it's a symptom of uh, it's like yet another symptom of, of the, uh, the left's long exile from from real politics that um, it's been it's been so long since even you know even social democrats um, have been anywhere near the levers of real power um, that uh, that you know I, I think that uh, it makes it hard for people to find their zen about this stuff you know because because uh, w- once you do actually you know, get this little hint or glimmer, you know, that like, uh, that you might actually, after losing your entire life and, you know, and then the entire life of everybody, you know, that you might actually win something. Um, we're like dogs chasing cars, you know, we wouldn't know what to do if we caught it. Yeah, totally. And, 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 and then if you, and then if, uh, and, and, and then if like the glimmer gets a little bit fainter, then, you know, then you freak out, you know, cause you know, cause you're on this emotional roller coaster. Uh, and it, it's very, I mean, like, I really like um, uh, Adolf Reed, you know, uh, has uh, interviewed current affairs where he talks about how he was in 2016, he was doing birdie canvassing and he spent so much of his time talking down these young birdie volunteers who would like get so excited about victories that they want to go out and like get Bernie tattoos and uh and then like you know they and then they get uh disconsolate you know because of whatever was going on in you know wisconsin or with hillary um and he'd tell them the story about uh sergeant pavlov at the uh, battle of stalingrad who uh, had to um with 25 soldiers he had to secure this one particular building for 53 days against the nazis uh, and it's like, look, you know, do you think Pavlov was worried about what was going on in the Western Front or, you know, he was, uh, you know, the larger strategic map, you know, that he's freaking out. It's like, no, he had one job and he did it. And that's kind of how you have to um, approach approach these things if, if you're not going to just, you know, completely burn yourself out on this, like, emotional roller coaster of getting super happy every time it seems like you might actually win one. You know, and and yeah. then completely losing your shit every time it seems like maybe not. You know, like I, and, and if you do have the Sergeant Pavlov view, then I think saying okay, um, all of the money and all of the positive media coverage and all of the everything uh, is uh, is behind Joe Biden, and so far it's about even. Like, I, I had a I had a similar thought just kind of along these lines, where I was, I, it kind of occurred to me like okay. Bernie's down now, right? Like structure the majority's out the window. Maybe plurality if we're lucky, right? And I, it just kind of the way I figure it. You know, a lot of people in the various cycles of revolutions in like the 19th century uh, knew their cause was doomed, and they went out to die on a barricade anyway. 
you know. The and, revolutionary is a doomed man. What, no, what are you, uh, Jake? What are you done? <laughs> well, the, I'm saying we need to build barricades in Milwaukee. Uh, no, what I'm saying is like. <laughs> No, like they knew the cause was doomed anyway, but they went and they did the best they could because they thought that their example would inspire people, other people later, you know. And so, yeah, maybe the Sanders thing is doomed. But look, it's only like, what, another shit, eight months, maybe less, you know. And like, what else does the left really have going on that's so important? I mean, I'm sure there are great projects here and there that people are doing. I wouldn't discourage them from not doing that. But it's like there wasn't really much before this. You know what I mean? Like it, this was sort of like Occupy where it's like this thing. This is a thing that people thought might work. And so people came out and coalesced around it. And maybe it wasn't enough. But I think what we just kind of have to do is see it through and push as hard as we can and see what happens. You know, so I guess go ahead. Tom, and then I'll talk. I, say, like, I, I think one thing about why people get very disheartening, disheartened by these ups and downs is that the very nature of the polit- like polit- of the political sphere is alienating you know so it's all it's all in and they've got nothing to drop back on you know they just live this online life or you know they listen to the podcast or do whatever and most people they don't have anything else it's just that and then it, that doesn't work and there's nothing else there's no social you don't even meet other people in the real in the real world how many times do you bump into commies in real life a lot Actually, yeah, do you do a lot? Yeah, I do. Without okay. seeking them out? Nope. Yeah, uh, it does I, happen I, to me more uh, often than I think and I would expect, though. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, like, like it, 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 I, I totally agreed with that years ago, though. Like, I could go, like, I don't know, like, you know, five years and not meet a commie in person. Now that's just mm-hmm. not true. Now, the kinds of commies I meet, I'm not going to lie, I don't love. Like, it's usually, like... Like Marxist Leninist at rallies for for doing some kind of whatever whatever or whatever I'm doing like immigrant work. There's a lot of you know specifically usually PSL or WWP people or Frizzo fight back or whatever, um, and that's what they're doing. But that's at rallies, Derek. I'm talking about in your normal life. I'm not. No, I'm not talking about rallies. I'm talking about actually. So, so part of part of this might de- you know part of this might depend on what your standard is for Kami. Um, but certainly if you just mean like a, you know, member of a socialist organization, um, then, uh, then I think that it's, well, actually I was talking to Derek about this, um, last time I had a podcast conversation with him that like, if nothing else, like it is, it is really strikingly different, right? You know, like I remember, you know, doing this stuff, um, you know, in, in the late nineties, right. That's how old I am. So, uh, and um and like in back then right or for that matter in uh 2010 right if if i um if i just if i met someone if i saw somebody at a coffee shop or something who there was some indication they were a member of the same socialist organization that i was right there's a newspaper in front of them or something you know you'd absolutely go up to them and start a conversation right like I walk around all the time. I'll, I'll, I mean, like not all the time, but like it's it's not abnormal or unex, you know, or like strange anymore to like you know go to the coffee shop and see somebody with like a computer with a DSA sticker on it, and I wouldn't introduce myself to them because that'd be like weird and socially awkward, right? You know, be like you know, be like having to kind of starting a conversation with somebody because like you know they they um, you know 
they had a Michigan State, you know, football thing on or something, right? Like, you know, be like, no, that's not enough in common, right? Keep walking. But it um, did used to be. It, it wasn't that long ago that in the United States, if you were, if you're like a commie or, or a socialist, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you could you could strike up, you, and you're like, are you a socialist? You know, or yeah. you might not even say it. You might say some charged things and look at each other. Like it wasn't that long. Yeah, like or even that, an anarchist, man. Like you, you like somebody yeah, yeah. tangentially related, but yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, that was like enough in common. And now it is, you know, oh, whatever. I mean, yeah, I like, you know, I like well, radio. I mean, it's, it, in a way, though, I mean, it's kind of a, a indicator, too, of how progressive politics can become almost a, a professional managerial class litmus test. You know, in the in the sense that you there's a kind of self isolation or a, a, I I I sure. I don't that's, know that this is constant. all I don't that's know constant. that this is all like you know oh the socialism is gripped to the masses necessarily no no, no, no. I, I, we're not really I, talking I, about the masses yeah. here at all no one said that it's we're just talking that. about the coffee shop exactly because this is we're the example that the we're giving we're talking shop. about the coffee shop yes yeah now yeah. the the only the only place where I've met socialists without seeking them out now is because I'm queer. If I'll go to like a, you know, like a queer thing, like there's, you know, you, you will, you, you know, you'll get someone that brings up communism at the table. That isn't me. And I'm like, this is nice. You know? Yeah. Um, shit. Is there never lost my train of thought? I don't know. I'm in a teacher's union and I meet socialists in it all the time. So, um, Teachers union close to state and civil infrastructure. Teachers are scum. <laughs> You're cops. Yeah. Oh, I just gotta ask, what is that bottle, Tops? What is that? What is that bottle? What is I that? I don't actually That's think that. The glue. I'm sniffing some glue here. <laughs> no, I mean I actually do think teachers are labor aristocracy, but I like like, um, but that's neither here nor there. I, w- I will. You're not you a know, Maoist. You're not, I'm not no, I, 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 what I mean by that is just that we are protected from scabbing, so our strikes are easier. Um, and we also are, are cartelled legally. Um, so we have certain protections other people don't have. But, but that's, that's not here nor there. I, I, my thing is not even the socialist stuff right now. If you talk to people, there's a, there's a, there is a frustration with politics that's that's endemic and it's across classes, but how it manifests seems very, very different. Mm. Um, you know, I, I do know a lot of working class people who are those weirdo people you always hear that you, you didn't think existed who were Obama voters and Trump voters. I've met them. Those are my like, parents. Right. I mean, it's a, uh, it's, it's a thing. So if we go back to Chibber's external internal stuff, the only way to get those people is an external strategy. Pure politics will not work. But we are hampered in our external strategies until we have some political victories. That was my logic for supporting Bernie. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I have no hope for effective social democracy. None. Oh, yeah. None. Um, The last 50 years have been a shit show worldwide. So, like... Right. I mean, what did putting Syriza in in Greece do? I mean, you you can get left... People, especially with the void that we have now, you can get left parties into power and and look at what happens. 
Well, I mean, in the United, the United States does have a better advantage, but the problem is, it, you know, we like to coup yeah. people who try and do that sort of thing. So yeah, you know. I mean, I, I think I think Cerise is probably the weakest, least interesting possible example, which also makes it fascinating to me that it's the one that leftists always bring up um, because you're talking about the uh, Workers' Party in Brazil not being able to perceive that they were going to be white wing coup because they did not have the social base to protect themselves. Okay. Again. Well, on the other hand, the Workers' Party of Brazil is also an example of extremely effective social democracy. You know, I mean, you know, we're talking, we are, you know, we are and talking. You need a reformist legal system. Why? <laughs> okay, so I guess lifting tens of millions of people out of poverty doesn't count. Um, when you can't maintain it for more than half of uh, half a decade, yes, it doesn't count. Actually, oh, okay. I think I think it didn't even more... beat our business cycle. I so, mean, you know, also within the last fifty years, uh, we you got Medicare for all in Canada, so uh, so I, I think that's that's not a nothing. Which has been weakened by its judiciary several times. I can go on because I actually study this stuff, and so do yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sure you can, but but any of the going on isn't going to touch the fundamental point. Uh, which uh, which which is that uh, they which is that there's nothing about the last 50 years that makes social democratic victories uh, impossible uh, or 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 unimportant. Uh, they have a the fact that there are always going to be layers of ambiguity. You know, isn't uh, uh, is is isn't going to be relevant to that. What uh, about the fact that they actually tend to neoliberalize their economies more than their right-wing counterparts do, historically speaking, under the pressure of those right-wing counterparts, which do not happen to the right-wing? And they're like, you can read Naomi Klein's book on this. She was trying to argue the opposite point, and she spells out the case for me. Like, I, I don't buy this whole idea that we can just we can just reform ourselves into, into this. The only thing we can do is buy time. Into even a moderate milquetoast social democracy. Well, it seems too like the narrative you hear on the left, just to chime in with what Derek's saying, is, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna put in social democracy, and then the workers are gonna be comfortable enough to organize for something better than it." Well, okay, you had the left in power for uh, more than a decade in Venezuela. And this is the far left as far as bourgeois politics goes. We've had plenty of this kind of shit like we and it hasn't created the social basis notice when when um maduro started falling apart there was no social basis for a further left opposition to rise up it was going to be the u.s or the chavistas you know and 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 that's after how many years of the comfort and security that social democracy is supposed to bring us so now the workers can all be organized properly by the left I mean, it just, the theory has not, I mean, by these metrics too, lifting millions out of poverty, China is this superb socialist society, and we know that's not true either. Well, well I think it would depend, well, first of all, there's an obvious equivocation there. It depends uh, how you're talking about lifting them out of, out of poverty. Are you just talking about the side effects of industrialization, or are you talking about particular social policies? That's a difference. That's matter. a good point. They I would agree with that. Point. Yes. Um, Secondly, when you talk about comfort and security, it sounds like you're quoting somebody. I wish I knew who, uh, but uh, oh, well, okay. Uh, then, uh, then third, uh, I, I would say that uh, that it's really important that if we're going to have a rational discussion about this, it could be, be a comparative discussion, right? So, in other words, um, if you know, I now I think Syriza. 
means less than nothing in terms of social democracy. I think a a powerless uh, peripheral country uh, with no negotiating power whatsoever being rolled over uh, and pulverized into submission uh, in in negotiations uh, means about as much in terms of the possibilities of social democracy as, I don't know, the defeat of the Bavarian Soviet Republic in 1923 says about revolutionary socialism. It says a lot, actually. Really? Yeah, both things do. I think it says a lot, too. Which, I, I, I'd like to kind of bring in the economic dimension of this. I think so-called like globalization theorists from, you know, around the 2000s, what have you, have actually a pretty convincing explanation for what happens to national horizon kind of socialist regimes, whether they're, you know, Leninist type regimes or they're just, you know, social democratic capitalism is the way that integration, uh, economic integration has accelerated. And it's made the kind of autarky that you need to do a national, um, you know, socialist kind of management scheme. Very difficult to strategically keep in place. Uh, you You have much more advanced like coordination between uh, international industry, international capitalist class, you have better infrastructure. Um, it, it points to the need for a movement that spills outside of national boundaries. And of course, when we're talking about politics, you know, it's democratic socialists of America and that means the United States of America or whatever. Like it's hard to come up with something that has like electoral horizons that is going to bother to coordinate beyond your individual country. Let me give Ben a fair point, though. If if this if you had like a Nordic country set of policies, which I don't think are that radical, in the United States, if they happen yes. in the United States, in the United States, it is far more radical deal. than if it is outside of the U.S. However, yeah. what but I it's wor- look like Amtrak. <laughs> well, yeah, but what I worry about, and what I'm seriously worried about, is the fact that. We have oversold the successes of a lot. Like if, if we talk about for the comparativeness, if we want to separate industrialization, lifting people out of poverty. Um, Brazil is a better model than China, clearly. The problem with Brazil is that its political model did not reform its legal system enough to deal with the fact that it was to- that its undercurrent is corrupt and is always attackable on corruption and you can basically coup any government with it if you're if you have any sort of like idea about how the laws in brazil work um and lula i think did have some some like had enough charisma to avoid this but he didn't have the successor or the internal and external power bases to maintain it um, and that's been a problem for all our Latin American models. It's been across the board. Um, the, the, the European models have been even more pernicious, frankly. Um, one of the things that, that I didn't know till I, I had Swedish people make me study Sweden is that when neoliberalization happened in Sweden, it did not happen nearly as severely, although they did have massive deregulations. Um, but what they actually got the union leadership 
on board with the government to formally suppress real wages um, to maintain full employment as policy, which then, and not surprisingly, discredited the Social Democrats. Like, this is... This is like a constant problem. It's the falling rate of profit, baby. <laughs> so, like, like I, I actually not on the. I'm not, I don't know if I take as quite as extreme a view as Grant that the creating a space doesn't matter. I, that's the only reason I would support it in the first place. But like the like, you're almost in a situation where you have to promote social democrats and then immediately turn on them when they fail. Yeah, and I I think as well that the I think that. I don't think that the social democracy is a is a long term solution. It's not. I don't think it leads to revolution. You know, leads to communism. I just don't think it does. You know. So I think that. You know, Derek will misrepresent me and say I'm an impossibilist, but I do think that society needs to learn the. Sometimes has to go through the wrong strategies to figure out what the right ones are, and I don't think that the left has. Probably come to terms with social democracy. Just going to end up getting smashed by the long-term fall on the rate of profit. They're going to have to manage the system, and they're going to end up, you know, having to slit their own throats one way or the other. You know, they can go the way of like uh, the Benite Labour trying to trying to go more radical, or they can try and manage it like they did in Sweden, and they'll both get wiped out. I think that's yeah. I think that's a great point. Um... It's it's like, um, I would have liked to see a more clear Sanders victory so that we could then see, um, I mean, either see how that goes against Trump, right? One, that's an interesting question to answer, right, is who who wins that election? And then on the chance that Bernie does win, which I think... Um, I think Sanders would have had a, or, you know, it's not over, but would have a better chance against Trump than Biden will. But, but ultimately I think that, I think that the Democrats, whoever you are running as a Democrat in this election is, is a pretty tough deal. Um, and so I, I would, I would probably reckon a slight advantage Trump regardless well, he's an incumbent um, too. I mean, yeah, and then, all sorts yeah. of things, all sorts of reasons, and you know, unless the coronavirus kills fifty million people, right? And so it it, it just um, it, it, but I would even if we saw a Sanders presidency, right? I mean, that would answer some questions to to go to what Tom was saying about sometimes society needs to go through the wrong answers to get to the right answers. I mean, I think we, if we had a Sanders presidency, we would learn a lot about what that means. I think you'd see. Um, some people pretty disappointed in the same way people were pretty disappointed when Obama got into office. One thing that's interesting about Sanders is that his entire you know, pitch is pretty much pretty implicitly a critique of Obama in a pretty direct way. And that he basically said that Obama had this very popular wave of support behind him that he completely squandered in the service of basically just propping things up. Right. He's been like almost a lame duck president in a way, right? And so his idea seems to be: I want to try and conjure that exact same thing, but actually 
press on, but actually press up against the contradictions and basically go to war with anybody and all the corrupt elements that would stand in my way. Right. And it'd be interesting. Like, and that's part of also what's unnerving about these results is that he doesn't seem to be able to conjure the same kind of a wave, wave that Obama did uh, in 2008. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, I think when we're talking about Sanders, um, I think it's 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 um, hard to describe why, because I think in a lot of normal election cycles, I think against maybe a generic Republican, we would have seen Sanders um, have more durability. I think than than we're seeing, um, but Trump is a unique candidate to run against right and and so i think what we're what we're maybe seeing because i asked that question about did 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 they just randomly decide i changed my mind about joe biden actually he's the best or did they or did something happen with with bernie right after nevada not the only Um, options but so maybe they were all really paying attention very closely to bernie for the first time and sizing him up not just as this left radicalizer figure, but as the front runner. Um, and what you'd be hearing from Bernie during the week up to South Carolina would be Medicare for all. It'd be billionaires buying other candidates. It'd be the 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 Trump line is racist, sexist, rinse, repeat. Okay, no distinction from what the other Democrat candidates have to say about Trump. In fact. Bernie even throws in with the fucking stupid West Wing fandom bullshit about Trump's an illegal presidency and the Constitution and stuff. I was terrified. I remember listening after his Nevada victory, and I was I was shocked how much he was hammering the unconstitutional really? president. You know, um, he's been doing that for a while. Yeah, I mean, he has been doing. I, yeah. I, I maybe shocked was a little bit. Yeah, but uh, you shocked. You'd, I tell you, shocked. You you. What you wouldn't hear is anything about how Sanders would actually now take on Trump in a way that is not a replay of 2016, but a little further to the left, but instead actually goes forward, right? So in Maine, the wider Democrat backing for Sanders uh, hasn't ever been about whether he'd deliver Medicare for all. It's been based on an impression that he was coming from a place that would sweep away Democratic ideological bullshit, right? whether it be centrist economic rationalism or radical left political economy, and maybe be able to outflank Trump from multiple directions and steal the ground from under him, right? Is All the better. Rad- yeah. Radical wins. left political economy in Maine? Like, I, I feel like, really a, sure I feel like I feel, they're, they're, no, they're, they're, they're Democrats eating out of the trash can of ideology all the time. I'm talking about a lot of left Dave, internal factions. David Ricardo. Like, I mean, oh, come on. That's not what I was saying. I was saying that... Um, radical left political economic kind of like analyses, which we know Sanders has of, you know, the Trump phenomenon, you know, but anyway, so the idea is that it really be better if he brings these progressive policy developments like Medicare for all. Right. Wait, like, but that was what, not what? the central antagonism here. It was you, you, you had him as the front runner. Okay. And he did not have a message on Trump that was any different from the rest of the field. Okay. So that's what I'm curious about. Does he have a radical left, like 
political analysis of Trump or something? Because like, as in my mind, well, I mean, to me, the, the last it sounds political like analysis of Trump is, you know, something you might say, you know, it's like you're, you're looking for what's driving yeah. the splinter in the mind's eye of the of ideology and whatever. And, and you're not yes, just but... being moralizing and, you know, racist, sexist, that, that well, kind Trump, of stuff. If you look at the New York Times, <laughs> if you look at the New York Times, the labor aristocrat. <laughs> if you look at the New York Times interview, what Trump, what, uh, sorry, what Sanders has to say about Trump is more or less, okay, so you had these voters, these white working class voters who were hijacked by economic anxiety, and that's what made them vote for horrible fascism, right? I mean, like that, he com it, he's basically comparing it to Weimar Germany, you know, which, I mean, I I'm sorry, like, it, I, I don't think that we're living in that. The social apocalypse that was supposed to happen under the Trump presidency has never occurred. And, and so it, it, it just ends up being um, that there's not much to distinguish him. There's a, just a more left-wing version of the deplorables argument that explains away why Trump was elected. But there's no real contending with why Trump was elected. It's just this, you know, the xenophobia zombied into people's brains. And so now they're, they're evil. You know, and, 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 and frankly, I just don't think that's what that was. I think that was a moderation for the Republican caucus, not a, a right-wing radicalization. So I'm a little conf confused about how the elements of this are supposed to be related to each other. Is your claim that the, the reason that um, the thing that, that primary voters saw about Bernie that led them to reevaluate and go to Biden uh, was that – they saw in um, that he that he wouldn't have a strong enough that uh, that uh, they saw that his analysis of Trump wasn't different from the other candidates. Well, in the sense in the sense that they were looking for an anti-Trump, right? And once he got that front runner moment, his message didn't change, and he didn't present an argument for he didn't present a a distinguishing. Uh, anti-Trump. He lost credibility. It's clear that he lost credibility. Why else did this happen on Super well, Tuesday? The question is well, why. Well, there's, well, there's a there's a really simple, mundane, uninteresting explanation that was presented earlier, right? Uh, which is that by uh, playing a bunch of cards, you can only play once. You know, uh, like like having the other centrist candidates drop out uh, simultaneously. So why can't Bernie? Why can't Bernie break through those ideological divides then? Why you, can't Bernie? Because so why why can you know, Bernie not? Well, again, the the really simple, mundane explanation that was given is that by playing all those cards in an unprecedented overnight way, uh, the establishment was able to give a strong and misleading impression of electability to Joe Biden. I think this is what the left always does is the establishment, the powers of the establishment. There's not a reckoning. Yeah, but you're actually not listening to the words that I'm saying. You're listening to the word establishment and then going into, you know, doing some stuff with your arms. But, you know, but listen to the actual point, right? The point is that this explanation has the power of actually see, of actually relating it to what goes on, relating it to what we know about uh, the motives of primary voters and not attributed to primary voters this pretty implausible idea that a they were paying a lot of attention uh, to uh, the um, 
you know, to the specifics of, uh, of, you know, of how, how what Bernie was saying in the last couple of weeks was similar or different from what he'd been saying the previous couple of, uh, couple of weeks, uh, which, which I, th- I think is not a level of granular detail that I think most people are voting based on. Uh, and two, uh, if, if the, if the, the disappointment was that Bernie isn't saying anything about Trump, except for his racist and a sexist, why on earth would that lead them to vote for Biden, who doesn't say anything about Trump except for he's yeah. a racist to decide? Right, right. But I think there's something in what Grant is saying. There's something true, isn't that? Why did Trump say first get elected? Is that he he was like a neutron bomb in mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. in the Republican Party, and people were drawn to that just kind of dis- creative destruction. And so, Bernie yeah. hasn't played that creative destruction destructive role with the Democrats. Yes. He has he has hit the the healthcare and that, but he hasn't literally set the house on fire or threatened to set the house on fire. Like Trump said, if you try and take this from me, I will just I will I will run myself. You know, there was none of this right. threat. He didn't play himself against what are the accepted norms. So, like that's what Grant is getting at. That Bernie has never been that kind of actor. I think for a lot of the reason why Nevada was a breakout win, like I don't know if anybody said this before, so forgive me if I'm repeating, is the fact that people saw that the, the establishment were trying to fuck them. And they yeah. kind of went two fingers to the establishment, we'll show you. And then, and then, but then like that was more of a two fingers to the establishment. And then like Bernie, Bernie is, hasn't got that fire and brimstone element that, that Trump brought to the Republican uh, venue. So I think there's definitely something in that. So well, I think yeah, Tom, too, Tom, just Tom, on Nevada, just one quick never, point. Uh, like, he never has. Just as something, Tom, that you said, he never has. And I think that's uh, yeah, just... But I, like, I think so. Well, and about Nevada too, like people were flipping tables over like four years ago because there was right. a, that was like ground zero for the alleged like caucus chicanery of 2016. But anyway, that's just... No, no, no. That's, that's an important point. I was going to bring that up. Um, and the other thing basically being that like to modify Grant's point slightly, because I think, you know, as stated, runs into the problems Ben was getting at, but, um, you know, had Sanders at that moment, instead of doing, you know, what he's been doing since he's been a Senator and he tapped into the old, you know, house of representatives years campaign, Bernie, which, you know, like 20 years ago before he had to really break bread with the democratic establishment. If, you know, that youthful rage sparked up just at that moment and there was a pivot, yes, against the establishment, but that's the appeal. That's the point. So if you, if you had something like that at that time, sure, but I'm not comfortable calling that the cause, you know, it might've been a better run campaign. I think it's fair to say that you could have pivoted at that point, but that's uh. It's Can we talk about the structural differences, though? Because there are some serious mm-hmm. structural differences you have to look at between what Bernie even can do and what Trump could do. One, sure. Trump doesn't have to deliver on 90% of his promises, and he doesn't. Um, he is not called on, about, called on about it by his constituency. It doesn't matter because his rhetoric doesn't can maintain the issues that he's got to deliver on is looking like he's making things harder for immigrants, which he's very good at actually doing and keeping us kind of sort of out of the war. He has delivered on the things. I think he's kind of delivered except on trade. 
He's delivered on his immigration bullshit. He's delivered on not going into new wars and trying to draw down troops in places. So he's kind of delivered, you know. Now, I, I, I'm actually going to quote you against you because you told me Trump's agenda was to bring in right-wing um, modern monetary policy yeah, and post-Keynesian. Yeah, no, his economic stuff he rolled back. But on, on a lot of his things, he did bring him through. Right, you know, but the stuff that you don't actually have to challenge your party on, right? All the stuff that he could bring through is stuff that he could structurally deliver from the fa from the executive branch. Packing the courts, he can do. Making yeah. immigration shittier, he can do. He doesn't need Congress to do it. Um that's keeping fair, us fair in point. and out of wars, he can do. The problem that Bernie or any leftist is going to have is our domestic, our burn the house down stuff requires the legislature constitutionally, unless we're willing to break the constitution, which I'm all for, but most people get shitty scared when I talk about that. So, you know, go ahead. Well, you know what he could have said? Like in his, in his like book that he wrote or whatever, he talked about when he was mayor, right? And when he was mayor in the, in the White House. Yeah, well, yeah, when he was mayor, he basically won. He was the only person in this small Vermont party he was trying to create, right? And the the people in the city council were, were Democrats and Republicans. They colluded to fuck him over. So he just basically gave up on that and just spent the in-between time going around to different, like, community groups and activist groups and people like that and just having roundtables with the mayor with those people week after week after week till he built up a base of outside support. And then he just flooded the city council with his own people and then he was able to do sewer socialism in reagan's america in the 80s right so if he basically said i just want to do that as president yeah we're not i'm going to, I'm going to be a lame duck president the first two years but then i'm just going to bring in this congressional strategy to put in my own people and then we're just going to rule the roost like he could have said that you know but he you know he, i don't know if he's even really thinking that far out ahead no, I, I think definitely he could he's say all that stuff and he could actually say, we're not going to get it done the first time, but we're going to make a fucking show of all these right wing Democrats. When we get in there, we'll see who's going to vote for health care. And he right. could have done that. And if he had attacked well, like, he says stuff like that all the time. He doesn't really. Well, no, yeah, he does. That. I mean, he actually is actually he pretty does. good on he this stuff. I agree with Jake. I agree with Jake. Yeah. But Ben, maybe he does say it, but it's not the dominant message this, that this I get. This is exactly what was missing. I watch loads of stuff. Now, whether he says it once or twice, it's not his dominant message. And now, to me, yeah. the thing is, there that's, is actually another true, kind Tom. of like maybe not a structural problem, but there is an ideological problem because it's like, um, you know, you have to like fit into, you know, they were they were hitting him over with all this intersectionality bullshit, you know, and all like the stuff that you can get away with, like in the Republican Party and the stuff that you can get away, get away with in a, running in a, as a Democrat. It's like a completely different game almost. You know what I mean? Like, I understand, like, like even, like, they tried to give him shit about saying, like, you know, using this kind of, like, economic determinist narrative in, like, the interview with the New York Times where he was like, you know, well, you know, Trump's playing the blame game. And when times are tough, you know, that activates old resentments or whatever, you know, it's he's a Democrat, right? And even people were like, well, that's, you know, he's basically a white workerist just for saying that, you know, like, it's. It, yeah, there's they're, they're, they're going to nominate Biden. <laughs> they're going to nominate Mr. Touchy Guy. Right. No. <laughs> like the, the he the, Bernie running as a Democrat, I think. I mean, maybe it's possible that he could just go full on Trump. But the thing is, like, Trump was basically had nothing to lose. Like, when Trump was playing, his entire thing. He had a heart attack. It's time to fucking do or die. He's, he's, no, I'm saying it's no, but like, Trump. Like didn't really give a shit though, you know what I mean? Like he was he was basically running as a massive branding exercise, so he didn't care if he lost. The problem with Bernie is, on some level, I think he actually cares. And so, 
Yeah, and that's why he probably had a little more fire even in 2016 because like he's like yeah i can just say what the fuck i want i'm not gonna win this i'm just doing a, i'm just putting my message out there right now oh, yeah. because he's 16 bernie it's interesting that 16 bernie had um you know people talk about bernie's crash in approval ratings this cycle but 2016 bernie went through an entire election um against hillary clinton and he, he was still the most popular politician in America. He oh. is actually still one of the most popular politicians in America today, but he's much closer to their abysmal numbers. Right. But but why would why would um why was Obama able to just light up Hillary and Bernie couldn't? Because Obama wasn't an old white man. Right? Well, Ob- yeah, like, Ob- Obama said uh, uh, Hillary will will say everything, say anything, but yeah. change nothing. Like yeah. right. no, but Ob- Obama was a black man. Like he had that basically POC credit that he could use to be ex- to you know Bernie as like the old white man. Like Bernie's th- basically they were saying Bernie Sanders the body of the fucking patriarchy, and like his be- like supporters being mean to like Warren supporters online is being like abusive boyfriends and shit. You know, like the the whole rhetorical <laughs> game is completely- sidecar shit. No, but like I, the, the whole rhetorical is, game is completely different. Like, a candidate could go and just say like. You you wouldn't believe the dumb shit they say on Twitter about me. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. But like Ben getting towards like he he, he would he just can reiterate the main thing you get from any debates with how he interacts with Joe Biden is he says my friend Joe. Yeah, I mean Trump it's, just kind of funny through. because it's all it's also you know like there's a certain format that I like to think of as uh, I've known Joe Biden for decades. He is my dear friend. I will now read out a list of his crimes. Do you reckon? He's a friend? <laughs> like, you know, I know that you, you know it's like saying, "With all due respect," but there's also a time to say, "Like right, right. you." you know yeah, I mean? yeah, no, I mean this this is true. I mean, like actually, in a, in a in a strange sort of way, I wonder if the Hillary Clinton thing you're pointing to is actually a symptom. If one of the differences uh, between the way that Obama went after Hillary and the way that uh, Bernie did or didn't. Might actually just be that Bernie is a leftist, and um, and and he can't bring himself to care about the like ephemera, right? Like you know, he he wants to argue about um, he wants to argue about about policy, right? You know, and uh, whereas like if you if you go back and look at that uh, that Obama Clinton uh, primary, all ephemera in in two thousand eight, yeah, it was all ephemera because they because there was no there were no substantial policy differences between them. But, or maybe because of that, uh, it it was a vastly more vicious primary. It was it was it was a uh, like like that was like it was it was far more personal. It was far more knives out than you know than than anything that uh, that happened. Uh, well, in, but I think uh, it was honest. It was honest about the idea of Obama is coming along and saying, "I'm going to keep your faction out of the White House. This is about this thing, and fuck you." Uh, where as I, I don't think Bernie, I mean, when you look at how Trump, for example, um, and I don't think you, I, my personal opinion is really, you couldn't just tweak the Bernie Sanders model to just suddenly be anti-political in this way. So this isn't, I'm not saying Bernie should have done this, but my point is though, that when you look at how Trump running on an, a more anti-political platform um, took on the Republican party, he just kneecapped everybody before the voting even started, he was just dead, dead. You're an idiot. Fuck you. You know, he got booed by uh, Jeb's supporters and he and he starts saying, ah, you're all a bunch of lobbyists anyway. Like at the debate, 
he just starts calling the debate audience like lobbyists and and you know, those are his supporters you know that kind of thing it's bernie doesn't do that stuff you know he, he he's not a good attacker <laughs> he wasn't really able to push through uh his opponents or land any kind of killing blows on anybody um and i think that has to do with his his ultimate alignment with you know i'm like he in 2016 he really was more of an insurgent and i think now he and i, I understand why he did this but he ended up settling into a rising progressive wing of the democratic party as its leader Whoa. and that is a that position is compromising I think so we could we, all agree it's compromise. Can we actually talk about 2008 a little more? Because I actually think we're misremembering it. Yeah, yeah it was a it. it was a much nastier primary in some ways mm-hmm. because Clinton was attacking Obama. Um, Obama's interesting in that Obama was a consummate political insider from moment one. He was groomed to be so. His his appearance in 2006 in the Democratic convention yes. speech was grooming him to be the national figure. Um, he, his, his insurgency against Clinton's was never actually that he was going to, to get rid of them. It's that he wasn't going to maintain their war policy on one, but not two of the wars we were currently in. And immediately, and this is when I, like, I, I, I can, I'll out myself. All right. The, the only other time that I've ever like, gone into the Democratic Party to go do something like this was actually in 2008 to support Mike Gravel. When Mike Gravel went to the Libertarian Party, I went, well, screw this. I'll canvas for Obama. And so I did. And then the moment, the moment Obama started announcing his cabinet, I quit. All right. And because I knew that all that insurgency stuff was all was all his fans. It was not Obama. Obama never even like actually even claimed most of that. But what Clinton had, I mean, I am actually kind of amazed. There was a recent like weirdly Vox is better on studying this. That Clinton did this whole like um, like working class, white working class um, presentation in a way. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Like yeah. we're, you know, we're supporting the right workers and, and, and it was, it was extreme. And like, it just got buried down the memory hole until like, well after the Obama administration, like actually even well after the 2016 election, people only started talking about it again, like in 2018. But I remember it. And I was like, how did she get away with that? Like, like, it didn't come back up to hurt her. I mean, we all know this intersectionality stuff. And this is going to side with Jake is like it's not sincere because people were willing to consider not just Biden but Bloomberg. Yeah. Um. So yeah. like like all the attacks like mini Mike on on Bernie for like being an outsider. Okay, you throw that out. You got Bloomberg in there. Um. Being, you know, the white patriarchy, you can't get more so than Bloomberg. Now, Bloomberg, like most New York mayors, if you follow your historical trend, New York mayors tend to spend a lot of money and get one delegate, um, i.e. Rula Giuliani, i.e. I can actually, I think it's happened more than once. I mean, more than, than Bloomberg. And, but, but it did what it was supposed to do. Now, whether or not you think it's the establishment, whether or not you think it's a class concern trying to main, maintain its cla- uh, its tax breaks, like, I don't know. But it could be either thing. But it is clear 
that that had that 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 Bloomberg had like all effect and no effect. Like Biden, like Bloomberg had barely any pull on the electorate, but it did somehow make Biden look more likable. And also offered a couple of things. One of the things I noticed is Biden made four ways out to Bernie people, saying that he would support Bernie um, if Bernie got the nomination. Um, in a way, Bloomberg tried to do that. And it, you know, like I will give Bernie money, and it didn't work. And actually, it's the only time I've seen Bernie do the thing, Grant, that you want him to do, which is to attack the other side. He was willing to do that on Bloomberg alone. Right. Um, and maybe that does prove your point that Bernie is not as hostile to the Democratic establishment in his larger public persona. I also happen to follow what Bernie, like Bernie's, like internal campaign stuff, and it is more insurgency. Yeah. Um, there is a difference between the way that campaign is presented to, you know, to burners than, than the way it is portrayed in the media and the way he portrays himself in the debates. But there's also like kind of a decorum problem that we have to look at. Decorum has cachet with Democratic primary voters, and it does not with Republicans. It never has. Yeah. Not, not in the last 30 years anyway. And like Republicans have always been able to to primary like to attack each other with insurgency stuff like the rhino campaign under the Bush years. Like we the Democrats have always sucked at that. They don't know how to do it. Um, and when they have done it in the past, I'm thinking 68, they go into some broker convention bullshit and lose. Yeah, I mean, so so it's it's interesting thinking about the ways in which the Sanders twenty twenty campaign might present as more or less insurgent than twenty sixteen, because certainly on policy, especially foreign policy, he's running miles to the left of where he ran in two thousand and sixteen, uh, and certainly in terms of staffing and surrogates, uh, is way to the left. Like, I mean, just just no fucking comparison, right? They have a. Uh, um, you know, I mean, look, you know, it's his national press secretary, Brianna Joy Gray, used to be a regular on the fucking Michael Brooks show. Uh, that's, you know, I mean, she was a uh, she's an editor at Current Affairs. There was nobody who was a high level staffer in 2016, you know, who was, you know, who was anything, anything like uh yeah, but, and these are, these are reasons that I think true. 2016 and, um, Bernie was stronger, Oscar is a regular Bernie surrogate now, like has like an official role in the campaign. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it's a much more, it's, it's a much more, um, like yeah. it, he's, he's gravitated much more to, uh, to the people, left, to people to his left, um, you know, since, uh, since 2016, which, you know, might or might not be, you know, be a good idea. Pragmatically speaking, we'll find out. Right. You right. know, but, but uh, so, so substantially and in terms, so substantially in terms of foreign policy, at least, and you have to admit that he has gone to the left more on foreign policy and there's a profoundly good thing. It tempers one of the things that's always bothered me about Bernie Sanders as a longtime sort of fan. Um, and, and fan is the word, it's, you know, sure, sure, sure. like, um, but um, but with regards to you know left staffing and that sort of thing, uh, like I think, well, I don't know if I would make the same point that Grant will. I think I'll leave Grant to make that point. Um, I I suppose we're really talking more about the way that the external campaign is being conducted. The internal campaign sounds like same as it ever was. Our revolution, you know. Um, but yeah, externally. Um, we're really talking about style here and style matters in campaigns. Um, substantially, you're probably right. Stylistically, stylistically, he is 
presenting his, his primary appeal seems to be the, you know, being the only person who can beat Trump, which is true, by the way. I mean, it's just, it's I mean, just there would be an advantage to him dragging these hosts. To, I potentially, I mean, I think Derek definitely has a good point, And that's kind of what I was trying to articulate earlier is that, yeah, decorum is a thing and it's a different kind of like playing field, but there could be a potential advantage to him drive brought, uh, bringing these antagonisms out into the open more because they are there. Right. So because and that's what's yeah. appealing to me about Bernie is because he's is running up against all these antagonisms and all these contradictions. And, you know, basically for him to win, he has to basically gut the entire Democratic Party. Right. That's why that's why they're all never Bernie, basically. Be, and that's why they would undercut him in a general election like he, he's he'll be campaigning. Certainly. He'll be campaigning against the Democratic Party establishment to the extent that it exists. So he, he has to gut it 100 percent just as a structural necessity. Right. And that's very, very important. And, but he has to basically say, so he'll say stuff like, yeah, we're running against the Republican and the Democratic establishment, which is great. It's great that he says that. It's but great there, that he says that. There's still, but there are still aspects I feel like he could probably just at this point be more open about. And, you know, and I, I understand why, because he doesn't want to be hard as like a conspiracy freak, right? Like, I remember they used to call Nader a conspiracy freak. Right. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, he thought structures were a thing. Yeah, and that's another thing too. You can't like you can't talk about like weird shit like that either, or else it's like, oh, you're into UFOs, you're crazy, you know, get out of here, right? Like it's 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 a very hard needle needle of thread. So well, here's a dumb question for people: What about Bernie as uh, the as, as Barry Goldwater? Could you spin that out a little more for us, Tom? Well, like you know, Barry Goldwater came on the scene, didn't he? And, and with his kind of like. You know, he was like a pre-Reagan. Is it like, what's what? Who like is Bernie the pre of somebody else? I mean, no. hope maybe I, I'd like that's, to think so. That's where he's going with this. You know, if he's not really going to go for broke this time, and I there, I, there's zero chance percent, zero percent chance in my heart that this is going to happen. But he goes, well, fuck it. I got to run an indie campaign so I can, you know, not leave my legions of supporters in the fucking democratic party. Oh, like, you know, he's, he's not going to do that. Right. Like, there's no way, like, that's not the kind of person he is. Like, unfortunately, if he, if he was, that'd be amazing, but no, he's, he's a realignment figure. That's the legacy that he, he wants to leave behind. And he's going to have to start thinking like that. Most likely, unless he really goes for broke and wins those final uh, primaries, but they're even still, I, it's gonna. It's most likely like best case scenario is gonna be like a brokered convention. You're at the mercy of the establishment. Okay, I have, this is a question that maybe we can start pivoting towards something else. Let's take everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's opinions on the, you know, on the political or anti-political strategies needed here. Um, what do we do when this is over? Let's say Bernie wins. Okay, well, then you have an opposite. We're going to have to run a double opposition in both directions. That's given. I think I think all of us would immediately kind of agree with that. We might disagree what it looks like, but we know that the establishment of the the establishment, the the, the donor class of the Democratic Party ain't going anywhere. Um, so what do we do then? Okay, fine. We got that. But what do we do if it is actually to build a legacy? What do you like if Bernie's Goldwater? How do you build that? Because right now we have three and a half Congress people, really. 
at the national level. AOC, Rashida, uh, Ilhan Omar, Ilhan Omar, and who's the fourth? Oh, oh, oh! I, okay, now I got a Presley. Yeah. Right, Rokana. Yeah, which I think is a stretch. So, like, you have you 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 have that. You don't have a single senator. Um, we don't have outside of Washington. Sorry. You don't have Washington outside of Washington State and New York. You don't have a lot of state level representation. I think there's some in Virginia and some in cities. Um, and and what I'm afraid of is that let's say like like let's say the moderate Marxists who aren't you know us fire bleeding commie people who think social democracy is a cop out. Let's just uh, let's let's just get like Nor- Normie Pinko is involved here. Um, what do you do? When you with those people who are going to be afraid to primary um, uh, moderates uh, off fear of losing the seat to Republicans, like that's what I'm afraid of. The plan stru- that is the structural problem of U.S. politics. But sorry, go on. It, so, I think the, the plan should be just to literally burn and primary every single person in the Democratic Party, literally, and fucking do it for like twenty years. <laughs> That should be the plan. Well, you have to. I wonder if you have to appreciate the structural problem with that. Well, you have to appreciate. So good, good thinking, Grant. But you have to appreciate the structural problem with what you're saying, Tom. In that, like, it's um, you 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 basically end up needing like lots of um, I don't even know how to I don't even know how to put the point other than like it takes so much resources to mount one campaign. It's like a fucking lawsuit. Um, so that like. Doing that in every, you know, all, all cylinders everywhere is a hard sell, even for something as reasonably coordinated and I, you know, highly asterisked as the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, for that matter. Um, just, but just, just to really answer your question, Derek, I think you need to do kind of like what Bernie did, and I read an earlier version of uh, Outsider in the White House, which is called Outsider in the House, and it was more or less like the, his early years was about building a progressive movement in a red state of Vermont. We may forget this. Vermont was a solidly red state for a long time. And it's um, some, it's what you might call a non-Dervager situation. Dervager's law is some law of political science that, you know, wavy equal sign, you, ha- you know, you ha- end up with, you know, two big candidates and you end up in a zero-sum game where a vote for one is necessarily a vote taken away from the other. And um, pretty much the only way to get around this is to, you know, run against figures. And I I do think that makes more sense to do this legislatively. Um, But anyway, just as a general principle, you run against, you know, people that are more or less unchallenged, run against like party machines that have been around unchallenged for a long time. Now the trick is where do you, how do you get socialists to run that, to live and run in those districts, you know, where there has just been red party machines, you know, party machines, you know, Republican party machines for a long time. And theoretically speaking, if you were really, you know, uh, a truly insurgent movement, you would be also looking for, you know, <laughs> like solid blue, like sol- solid blue States and, and trying, um, 
trying this in any non-Dervagers districts, any any of those situations. There is a, uh, a lovely version of this that was um, put out by Michael Moore in, a million years ago in his show, The Awful Truth, where you know, I think in, in a, I think it's just a house race in New Jersey. Um, he runs a ficus plant. Uh, was it against the Democrat? I think it was. But it was just like, you know, one of these lifers who doesn't even go to the district, who's just in D.C. And yeah, Michael Moore, special case, I know. But they run a ficus plant. They run a they run a, a write-in campaign for a ficus plant who wins. And well, it's the the result is never announced. And, you know, there's like there's shenanigans, essentially. That's what it looks like on the on the you know documentary. I don't know if Michael Moore, you know, slipped a Mickey in the in the production of it and misled me. But that's what it looks like, is that it wouldn't be even that hard to do if you could get a candidate in some of these non-Dervisers districts. If you had a coordinated campaign of socialists doing this, that's where you start. You don't start in the, you know, places that socialists tend to live <laughs> in like the hipster lefty bubbles that have already absorbed uh, this kind of thing culturally. You do it in places that haven't had a lot of opposition. Well, like that's then you that's can surround the cities. So that's like a function of how developed your your socialist fucking you know your socialist reality is. Currently, it's not out of Brooklyn. It's not out of you know London or wherever the hell you want to say. It's not in all these places. But like I think you know, Doctor Michael Hudson, the economist guy, he he's saying like that basically on some level you have to take them on on a political on their own political level. So if you can basically. You know, Chapo have been saying, oh, we'll burn the house down. We're not going to vote for anybody like Bernie. Like, as a strategy, you do that three or four times. Politically, the establishment will lose that idea of we, un can under we, we control who's electable. Because people will say, you keep on choosing losers. Like, normal, regular people will say, they don't know. They, they're losing the the plot now they, they they don't control what why why do we need these establishment democrats if they keep getting it wrong like i think that is a strategy that can like i think that's a very reasonable strategy you know people say oh well, we've got to get rid of trump this time but look you know in the end of it tr trying to get rid of people and going in with the democrats it rarely works against an incumbent and you always you just ended up with trump anyway so it's like can i make a structural point about american politics so real fast um please. Uh, that hasn't happened since the Whigs for one simple reason. While at the national level, the parties are not enshrined in anything. They're private organizations, do whatever the hell they want. At the state level, they're, they are actually written into law. Um, they, they get privileges in a lot of state legal forms. Now it had weird side effects. There are states, for example, where like the democratic party is technically represented by a different party than the national party because of some weird state law that and it, it's always weirdly, it's always the Democrats that, that happens to never the Republicans. I don't know why that is either, but in general, you would have to literally change 50 state constitutions or a, or modify the constitution to make that a viable strategy. And that's not I, I, like we keep on getting into these catch 22s mm. or, or you have an actual 
nonpartisan socialist organization because there's a sort of discussion about the an inside outside strategy and hey isn't it okay if we use the democratic party line that doesn't mean we're party loyalists and on paper that's totally true on paper i i can i can see that but having a sort of historical consciousness about these sorts of things it is you know very hard to take that at face value now what would really do the trick is if you had an independent socialist organization that was willing to say that, listen, we're just running on the ballot line. We're not really for this party in both parties. That would be willing to run, you know, like troll candidates in the Republican party as, you know, some weird ideological, like, you know, Republican communism or Republican socialism kind of bullshit. The, theoretically, the DSA, since it's not a party, could do that. It's theoretically, not inclined to, right? But, but, but it like, never fucking will because culturally speaking, the whole reason that that, is, that still exists, not this doesn't explain everything about its newest wave, <laughs> but is because it's, you know, an interest group in the Democratic Party. It was, it was a cold Cold War socialist group for for the Democratic Party for a long time, and um, if the DSA is what a lot of its younger members want it to be, we can you know we just have to face facts and uh, like if we want to do like the game theory of this, run in non dervigers districts against Democrats as Republicans sometimes as uh, as a DSA candidate like or or something you know break politics, break politics as usual. You ask for a strategy. That's the best I got. Or, I mean, there's always also, you know, maybe try and do something with labor, you know, get that going again. I mean, that would be great, but I honestly think that that is outside. That's a cash 22. That's outside of the capacity of political actors. Yeah. I mean, as, as Varn says, there's, there's a, uh, it's it's hard to see how. Um, I mean, it's one of the things that makes that so intractable is is that it's hard to see how you get uh, a serious revival of the labor movement uh, without some reforms to make the landscape for that easier. And it's hard, but then again, it's also hard to see how you get the reforms without a powerful labor movement, you know, exerting uh, exerting pressure, which is. Um, I don't have any creative solutions to. I mean, that's just the, you know. But I mean, that that does seem to be the shape um, of the of the dilemma that we're in. Um, you know, which is which is one of the many reasons that, despite the fact that I agree with everything, you know, he was he was saying about uh, you know burning down the Constitution and you know etc. Uh, etc. Et I, I you know I agree with all that, right? You know, I mean, like I I, I don't you know. Uh, I, I don't think social democracy can, uh, you know, can be a long-term um, can be a long-term solution. But you know, it's but it's it's one of the reasons that I have a hard time seeing uh, an alternative about what the what the initial steps might look like. That you know, that what 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 the sort of plan you know the sort of plan B is right. You know that if if the uh, if the left isn't strong enough to win some elections, you know, what's the other thing that we're strong enough to do that so, would be effective to start to open up some sort of space for further development? So we could take the Bolshevik strategy, which is wait till we get into a world war. Um, <laughs> I might have to and, wait that long. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, we might oh, not. No, no, sure. What about sure. the Posadists? Don't let, don't forget the Posadists. Yeah. Yeah, don't forget the Roddenberry option. Well, I'm actually not. I, this wasn't. I mean, yes, but there is. This is not a facetious point. The the way that this is why I went all the way back to when I disagreed when I said the Soviet of Bavaria falling was actually important. The way that the Leninist victory happened was related to geopolitics as much as economics, and it was based on a massive military strategic failure of the Tsar. If that had not happened, it's hard for me to imagine why the Bolshevik revolution have, would have not ended up the exact same way as the German ones, except that it was even in a more backwards place with a more auto autocratic government, which was even more ruthless with dissidents in some ways. So like our, our prior strategy model and one that is ignored by a lot of people who talk about the Bolsheviks is, is literally to wait till basically international catastrophe makes you a rump state <laughs> that hasn't ever happened in the core of development like ever so what there do needs you to be do a strategy other than fucking bloody civil war <laughs> if you want to change I mean, the mode of production no i mean the thing is though bloody, bloody civil war is absolutely inevitable if you actually want to change the mode of production 100 last me i mean like a civil the last major change in america Fucking civil war. You know? Oh, I mean, there'll there'll be a clash. There'll definitely be a clash. I I I think when we're talking about ch actually changing the mode of production, we're talking we're talking a distance from now. But um, next so, week, next week, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's for a later week, episode. Yeah. But, uh, um, I gotta get going soon though. So you guys keep going, but I'm gonna dip out. Yeah, actually, my uh... I I think I think it's about time to wrap things up. Um, Goodbye, comrades. Some, some parting words here. Bernie 2020, baby. Let's go. Get, send your dollars. Send your pennies. Let's do it. All right. We um, will bury you. Okay. <laughs> we will bury you. <laughs> uh, with words of optimism. Uh, I had an idea for what uh, Warren's Native American name would be. Because you have Kevin. It was Kevin Spacey was uh, Dances with Wolves, right? Okay. Right? Am I? Is that true? Yeah. Where is this going? Yeah, uh, come on. Where's this is this is not a promising this setup. Is, right this right. is this has not has been thoroughly workshopped yet. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's dances with wonks. Oh, I see. Not bad. Not bad. That's not right, bad. Right. Yeah, exactly. See, right. I didn't. Well, you you guys are acting like I was like, all right. Well, let me just uh, say the N word <laughs> on the <laughs> podcast. I, like, I, 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 I was at a, a D, like a basically it ended up being a DSA watch party. I want there were actual Warren people, so I didn't do this, but I was gonna pretend to be a Warren bro every time Warren was mentioned. Be like, yeah, let's go. And then I was gonna cap off the. I, I was gonna cap off the bit by doing like the tomahawk chop, like when, when like, your name came up. Oh but boy, I'm not that cool. Yeah, uh, uh, listen, she's a POC icon. <laughs> it, um, we just need her in power, and then Trudeau above Amer above, and we've got a whole coalition in North America. I think she could she could pick Delezel as her VP. It'd be great. Yeah, racism's really over. All right, Tom, last words. I'm just found out the other day that the fellow who did Malcolm in the Middle is a real Republican. That surprised me. <laughs> Is that right? right. Yeah, I yeah. thought I thought Malcolm in the Middle had some class content to it. I always hated that sure. fucking show. I knew it. No, but like I've he's like a it. proper wing wing note right winger. As oh. Malcolm is, yeah. There you go. Nice, <laughs> Um Ben, final thoughts. Uh, we already got Birdie twenty twenty. We already got uh, 
Cruz Jeff, who I actually kind of have a soft spot for. I don't know. I, I guess I guess my I guess my final thoughts would would really just be to uh, uh, to reiterate that a, a few dozen delegates is nothing, and we're probably going to lose because we always lose. But uh, this is this is much too early to come to that conclusion. Here, here, yeah, yeah. here, here. Um, well, this. What do I have to say? I think everyone that's been paying attention to this should like take a bath, smoke a joint, drink some wine, do something else for a little bit, and uh, just decompress and think about take the long view. You know, so often we're in these short-term cycles because that's how our structures are. But wisdom takes the long view. So you can't win the battle, but maybe, just maybe, you can win the war. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, to build on that, I think it's a really interesting thing to Damn see. It, you you have go. people, people go, who Brett. are all right. All right I'll, I'll be quick. But you have people who are falling apart over this. Most mm-hmm. everyday people in society don't put their hopes in politicians, right? I mean, they just don't. And I think there's a reason for that. They save it for sports. All right, let's go. They save it for the Jets. <laughs> they save it for the <laughs> no, well, sorry, the bro- Mets. All right, I'm I, as a Judeo Bolshevik, I support the Mets. Okay. If you have emancipation in your hearts, you, you know, the in and out cycles of the election, God, God help you. You know, it, it should give you some comfort through the waves, the ins and outs of the electoral cycle. Ha, have your pro-revolutionary internal citadel shield you from the, from the, tide, the tides of elections. That's the piece that I wish all of our, all of our viewers. So, all right. Have a good Nam- night, everyone. Namaste. All right. Let the communist century begin. All right. This was fun.